Blog Talk Radio. Good evening. I'm Robert A. Wilson with Cowboy Wisdom Visionary Vitality. And my guest, I'm waiting for him to call in. And uh, his name is Montgomery Ranger. And uh, anyway, he, I'm just waiting for him to call in and see what's going on. And uh, But anyway, Montgomery was one of the very first people in Guantanamo Bay and in Avogar and in the prison in Iraq when it all happened. And he was one of the first people to see the detainees when it all happened. And anyway, I'm just waiting, and he'll be calling in in just a minute. Uh, and anyway... But we're going to be talking about world affairs tonight and different things and how it's all going and stuff like that. And also, but anyway, I'm a hypnotherapist and NLP practitioner, and uh, and I and I also have a radio show, uh, and I also got seven published books. And and I'm also uh, trying to put paper in the pipe in the printer right now. But anyway, what we're going to talk about tonight when Montgomery calls in is uh, just things that are going on around the world. And uh, Montgomery also has a book called Saving Grace at Guantanamo Bay. Uh, And, and it's all about the prisoners and how they work and everything that's going on. But anyway, uh, but what really what's going on in the world is we're, re- we're having to do over what... And the world has changed... And it's changing right in front of our eyes. There's parts of it getting more blissful, and some of it's getting more painful. And that is kind of where we're at right here, right now. But we're also... uh, We're also moving forward in a bolder, brighter way. And as we go forward... We're starting to really understand that life is what gets in the way of life. And, but here's something that I've come up with today. Uh, You know, we pulled the troops out of Iraq. We pulled our ambassadors that were touching the people's lives, playing soccer with them and stuff like that. And as we do this, we become more and more disingenuous in everything we do and how it works and things like that. So when people get nervous and upset and don't really understand, and what I think we're not understanding is when we was had a big presence around the world, 
we had our individual ambassadors, and yes, we heard about the troublemakers, but compared to all the troops in the world, we had very few people that were really there. And it's just like in our life and what's going on in everything and what's happening right there. I'm going to have to three-way Montgomery on for some reason. They, the deal won't let them do it. So we're going to have to do another thing here. And I'm just going to call Montgomery. And we're going to three-way him on. So please be gentle with us, because this is always a, an adventure. Sound for additional options. We did not get your message, either because you were not speaking, or because... Blog Talk Radio. Good evening, this is Robert A. Wilson. I've got to go get the guest. Uh, Blog Talk and I and my phones, uh, we had a misunderstanding. I'll be right back. Well, that's good news. How are you? All right. I'm good. How are you? Uh, Excellent. Thank you very much. Uh, all righty. We are here, and we got time to go, and the lady changed time for us, and uh, me and Montgomery are going to have a con- conversation. Montgomery is the author of Saving Grace at Contuanovo Bay and retired major. Montgomery was assigned as a medical service officer responsible for the care of detainees in both Iraq and in Guantanamo Bay. The major will discuss it, and we will discuss Guantanamo, but we're also going to discuss many other world affairs that I feel we've let slip away. And we're also going to talk tonight about the veterans and many other things. But Saving Grace at Guantanamo Bay, a memoir of a citizen warrior, is about Montgomery's time at Guantanamo Bay. And President Obama has assigned an executive order creating a formal system to indefinitely detain the prisoners without a trial at the middle military prison in Guantanamo Bay. And tonight I really want to talk about the re-doing uh, of Iraq and things like that. So without any further ado, I want to bring Montgomery on. Welcome to the show, Montgomery. Thanks, Rob. I really appreciate it, and I'm so happy to be here and, and with your loyal listeners. It's always a pleasure. Well, it's my privilege and honor, too, but there's something. I, this is a question that I got today, and I really want you to open up, and we'll talk more about saving grace. But when we pulled the our troops out of Iraq, we did something that I didn't realize until today, and I'm going to get your opinion on it. When we pulled it out, we pulled the ambassadors to the people out when, when the military left. 
but then we also pull the essence of our also of our country out when we pulled the troops out. We did. It was a complete um, abandonment of our friends in Iraq, and they were our friends. Um, we had rebuilt their infrastructure. We were their protectors, their trainers, and uh, everything was going along uh, just swimmingly, and we were winning the global war on terror. And when we pulled out, we gave up the high ground in the global war on terror. And it was only a matter of time before what has recently happened happened. And also, Montgomery, when we pulled the troops out, didn't we kind of open the door for ISIS and everything else that's going on in Iraq right now? But we're going to have to go back in and take take what we let go away, aren't we? Do you feel? Well, it depends on the goals. Uh, you know, you have to have a, a plan. Uh, and we had a plan, uh, if we go back to World War II, since we are still in Germany, Japan, and Italy, almost 70 years after the end of the war, we had a Marshall Plan to help our friends uh, restructure, rebuild. We prevented them from uh, producing offensive weapons. We had written into their respective constitutions they couldn't spend more than 1% of the gross national product on defense. So we subsidized their defense. And uh, if we go back uh, not too much further to uh, Ronald Reagan telling Mr. Gorbachev to tear down the wall, we were, at that point in time, the world's only superpower. And uh, Reagan, again, I think it was on the 40th anniversary of the D-Day celebration in his speech, reminded everyone that there's a difference between use of force for conquest and the use of force for liberty. And the United States um, was known for using force for liberty and protecting people and helping build democracies. And that's what we were all about in Iraq uh, until uh, Barack Hussein Obama decided to completely abandon our friends there. And, you know, doesn't that the way that what the rest of the, the world sees is the abandonment? They know the United States will come in, make a show, then we'll leave, and they'll be on their own. Isn't that kind of what the world is seeing about us now? sends a very strong message, doesn't it? I mean, actions oh, to me. Speak, yeah, actions speak louder than words. Um, and back in 2013 in the spring, the president also very quietly removed our last uh, M1A1 Abrams tanks from Europe. That sent a message to the Russians that they could pretty much do whatever they wanted to in the Ukraine, and sure enough, they did. Now you even have the Chinese coming into Iraq, <laughs> offering support uh, to the Maliki government. You have the Iranians in Iraq offering support. But the damage is done. Uh, the caliphate has been created. And this guy, al-Baghdadi, has uh, declared himself the leader of all Islamic Muslims. And they have their caliphate state. And they're solidifying their, their gains right now. So, in my opinion, it's going to take the 82nd Airborne into Baghdad, the United States Marine Corps, and a whole heck of a lot of um, boots on ground to reverse this trend and get back to where uh, we need to be. 
And, you know, the thing is, do we have the leaders in this country with the wisdom to do that? Because we don't have Petraeus and everybody anymore that understands them people. Yeah, it's, a, it's going to be a big challenge because there has been a purge. And I've been writing about this. I'm a, a branded contributor with The Blaze, which is an online uh, news source. And really what has happened here is a complete abandonment of the United States of America as a standard bearer for liberty and freedom around the world. We've kind of, kind of gone backwards, and again, that sends a strong message out to all our allies and our friends, and it's causing destabilization around around the globe, and that's a very dangerous thing. People take advantage of that, even down to Central American and uh, Mexican uh, youngsters who are crossing the border in droves. Uh, how do we know that some of those young people aren't affiliated with our enemies? We don't. So uh, we're kind of on the ropes now, and it's kind of scary. You know, this is a, this is kind of a it's a lame joke, but I, they got a sign down there that says "No uh, terrorists allowed," and they stop. <laughs> well, we can laugh about it now. I hope we can always laugh about it. But that's oh. you know, it's just telling. You know, sometimes you have to laugh or cry, and uh, you know, crying does no good. So it. It's a situation right now where we have to do something. You know, we, we like to talk about it, have this conversation and and uh, hang up the phone and go to bed at night. But each day that we don't take action, which is reaching out to our representatives in Congress, uh, we are guilty by inaction. You know, one of, one of the uh, worst places in hell are reserved for people who – uh, watch a crime being committed and do nothing about it. And what's going on right now in the world is a crime, and we all need to to do something about it. Montgomery Granger, the author of Guantanamo Bay, a memoir of a warrior citizen, and the call-in number to talk to Montgomery is 718-305-6548. But Montgomery, here's something that I just really opened up to understand in the last couple weeks the military the people the men and women that are on the ground talking to the civilians of other countries they're the ambassador true american and ain't that what the other people see in other countries and when we did we pulled out we pulled we pulled the ambassadors out when you pull out the military don't you feel um we we had a substantial a uh, group of people there from the State Department in the green zone. The green zone, zone is very protected. Uh, there are other countries in there as well with diplomats, etc. It's a very small uh, part of the country, and if you can't project your power and influence, then you're ineffective. So we weren't, we, we didn't leave back enough people to make any kind of uh, uh, statement. Uh, or project any power or influence whatsoever. And that's what created the security vacuum, the leadership vacuum. And where we are today is a very tenuous situation uh, where, you know, the president at first said he's not going to send boots on the ground, we're not going to send combat troops, but anyone in the military knows an advisor is a combat troop. Uh, and it takes three to five support personnel 
for every advisor you have on the ground. Those guys have to eat. They have to be resupplied. They have to uh, have all the the things that they need, their beans and bullets, and it takes other personnel. So I wouldn't be surprised to read in the paper in a week or two that we have several thousand uh, soldiers back in Iraq. Uh, what are the plans, though? What What is the goal? What is the overall strategy? Uh, in Europe after World War II, we had a strategy, and that was to uh, solidify and make strong and healthy uh, those countries that were our enemies. And now Germany, Japan, and Italy are three of the, the most prosperous and peaceful countries on earth. And the reason is the United States of America. And every man, woman, and child in this country who supported uh, you know, our government also supports them. And it's a matter of nowadays combating the evil, the Islamists who want us dead. We have to continue to fight as long as they're alive. As long as they're out there, as long as one Islamist is out there trying to kill us, we need to defend ourselves. And if there truly is a global war on terror, and I believe it's white hot right now, Rob, with all that's going on in the Middle East and Iraq in particular, then we need a safe and secure place to hold Islamists who want to kill us. And the only place for that, the safest, best place for that is Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. And, you know, here's the thing about what you just said. The American people think because they don't have colleges over there and they don't have this, then people don't have the intelligence to do. But they have the same intelligence as we do. It's just what they're being taught. Isn't that true? Yeah, they're indoctrinated in their uh, religious schools called madrasas. And, in fact, uh, Barack Hussein Obama attended a madrasa. Uh, when he was growing up over in the uh, Pacific, uh, you know, when he was a young man, uh, he was raised as a Muslim. So these uh, schools, these madrasas, indoctrinate uh, Muslim children to believe that the United States is evil, uh, that, uh, you know, there's only one law, and that's the Islamic law. And it's a very dangerous mindset. You know, our country was founded on, on the edicts of religious freedom, the Judeo-Christian ethic uh, of treating your neighbor as you want to be treated, and that's certainly the opposite of what we're seeing from our enemies. Uh, they just soon kill you as look at you. And like I said before, Rob, we need to defend ourselves. And leaving Iraq, leaving Afghanistan, leaving these places where uh, we had eradicated, for the most part, the uh, Islamists, is uh, sending the wrong message, and it's making us weaker. When we when we trade a uh, an alleged deserter for five Taliban leaders, we send a strong message to the enemy that we're not interested in uh, fighting them; that we're interested in surrender. And that's not the American spirit. Now, does the war? You know, the borders of this country. You know, the people filter. Doesn't that show the rest of the world that we're not a nation that's going to stand together? It's kind of a joke. It, I say we must be the, the butt of many jokes around the world. Because if you and I tried to infiltrate Mexico and obtain government benefits, we'd probably be thrown in jail like, like uh, uh, the Marine down there. Uh, you know, they, they don't play games. And most of the countries that you and I would visit 
uh, and try to emigrate to would throw us in jail or throw us out or kill us. Uh, you know, it's not a pretty uh, place out there for Americans. But if you come here, it's a free ride. And we all pay for that. And, uh, you know, personally, that makes me angry. I, I don't like well, it when people take advantage of me. I don't like it when people uh, take things that I paid for and use it uh, when they don't have a right to do so. And we got the leaders, but here's something that really, this is something that I really, uh, that kind of, I don't really know how to say it, but really makes you mad is when you see they want $2 billion for illegal literary for illegal children, undocumented people, but they don't want to take care of our veterans. How idiotic is that? It really enrages me uh, that people who wrote a blank check for everyone in this country, for everything up to and including their lives, are treated like second-class citizens. Uh, I read an article today that said veterans have to stand up for their rights and uh, force Congress to act. No. We we stood up. We raised our right hand. We went over. We did our duty. And uh, God willing, we came back. Some of us whole, some of us not whole. shouldn't have to ask for anything. You know, the veterans in Congress should be leading the way. If they're not leading the way, they should resign. There's really no two ways about it. If you're willing to take in illegal aliens and treat them with respect and kindness and, and give them medical care, there's absolutely zero excuse for not doing the same with the veteran. Well, there's, you know, um, if you're here illegally, that's unconstitutional, but this is going to be a harsh statement. You, you, but basically, isn't what's happening a treasonous act towards the Constitution, basically? I, I believe it is. I mean, the constitutional definition of treason is giving aid and comfort to the enemy. And I defy anybody to prove to me that some of the 200,000-plus illegal aliens that have infiltrated this country, not one of them, is our enemy. And unless you close the borders down and enforce the immigration laws that are on the books, you are aiding the enemy, and that is treason. And we have to hold the highest office accountable. Uh, the President of the United States, whether he's Barack Obama or anybody, can be impeached uh, if they are suspected of committing high crimes or misdemeanors. And if not supporting and defending the Constitution of the United States, which he swore to uphold, is not a high crime or misdemeanor, I don't know what is. Uh, and to me... The way the veterans are being treated, and you know the thing is, they raise their hand to protect the country, and and you know they got some very severe injuries. But isn't it our right to raise our right hand to take care of them? It is, and I think it's every American's responsibility to take care of those who uh, offered to pay the the ultimate sacrifice for our freedom and liberty. We owe everything to our forefathers, and to veterans, everything. And that's an awesome uh, responsibility if you think about it. And there should be no discussion, there should be no argument, there should be no legislation that needs to be passed. Just support and do what's right to do. 
It's a very simple thing, and it goes back to what I talked about before, the Judeo-Christian ethic of treating your neighbor as, as yourself. And if we did that, there wouldn't be a problem with the Veterans Administration. Everyone would be taken care of like we would take care of ourselves or our own. And the book is called Saving Grace at Guantanamo Bay, a memoir of a citizen warrior. You can get it on Amazon.com. And where else can they buy the book and open their eyes to what goes on in Guantanamo Bay? Yeah, they can get it on Amazon. It's a soft cover and an e-book on Kindle. They can also get it from Barnes & Noble. And it's also a Nook book. Uh, they can also ask their library to get a copy uh, of the e-book or the physical book. Uh, I've, you know, some people say, well, you know, I don't really have the money. So, well, you already pay it. You pay it in your taxes to your local library. So ask them to get a copy and be the first to borrow it. Do you think people really understand the tax system in this country? <laughs> I, I I don't think anybody understands it, and I think that's the game. You know, you keep people confused and guessing, and, uh, you know, my wife and I have done our own taxes since I can remember, and each year it just gets more and more complicated, uh, and it's just ridiculous. You know, since 1913 and the Federal Reserve Act and income tax, uh, this country financially has just dug itself a, a, a deeper and deeper hole. And, um, you know, the, the currency doesn't really, it's not supported by anything other than psychological value. It used to be on a, a gold and silver uh, reserve system, uh, and that was little by little whittled away. But, you know, that Federal Reserve note in your pocket still gets you a, a cup of coffee at McDonald's, so it does have some value. Um, but those who control the creation of money really control us. And taxes these days are just a scam. You know, if you add up all the income tax, it barely covers the interest on the national debt. So it's just a big shell game. It is, and if people really understood it. But, you know, something, Montgomery, this is, I wrote this in some, in some writing I did, I'm waiting for the founding fathers to come back and give me a swift kick and tell me to stand up here and straighten up. <laughs> it's, you know, it's, it's interesting these days because back before television when there was just uh, radio and things like that, people went out in rallies and, and uh, you know, made their, their feelings known. And even though that still happens today, it really doesn't happen as much as it could or should. Uh, because we, you know, we go online and, and we do our social media, or we watch Fox News or whatever news show you like, and you, you kind of yell at the TV a little bit, and then you feel good. Uh, but it doesn't change anything. The only thing that changes is when Congress gets together and does something. And maybe in this election, the midterms in 2014 in November, we can get some real change here and then have some control over the government again, because right now it's it's just a gridlock. It's a gridlock, and it's like watching kids in a sandbox playing over a Tonka toy. <laughs> it sure is. And we have a president that keeps giving away our toys. <laughs> oh, to yeah, you know, yeah, you know, this country was never just hurt from outside in. It was hurt from within. And, you know, I blame both parties equally for this. But here's something 
I blame who I take responsibility more is I blame myself for not being more forthright and having the rallies that you just talked about. They don't have to be violent rallies. They just got to let people know we're understanding what they're doing. That's right. And I think, um, you know, our our congressmen, uh, our senators and representatives are human beings. Most of them have families. Some of them are veterans. And if you reach out to them, if you call them up or if you, you send them an email, they listen to that. They look for that stuff. They need guidance. They need reassurance uh, about what they're doing is the correct thing. Uh, they're all the same in that they all want to get reelected, and that's a sad reality. But they get reelected by paying attention to the people. And if you never have called your representative, if you've never sent an email to your senator, you need to do that now and let them know how you feel about things and what you want them to do. And if enough people do that, then you'll see some action. You know, I never was a big fan of Bill O'Reilly until the last few years. You know, that guy is the one that's making sense to me, him and Neil Cavuto on Fox News. I mean, not to plug somebody, but I like watching Neil Cavuto's show because it's one business show that has, and Blue Dobbs, but they have common sense to him, but he actually puts forth substance without fluff. Yeah, I like them too, and um, you know it's kind of a reality break. I don't, I don't see them necessarily, uh, you know, supporting one end of the spectrum over another. But uh, like you said, it's a common sense approach, and I think that's something that the average person uh, can understand. And I certainly appreciate. It. I think simple is good, and being straightforward and honest uh, are important qualities, and it, it makes. You know, when you when you try to filter a news story, sometimes it's very difficult. But when you listen to one of those fellows you mentioned, it it becomes very clear. They really break it down into uh, the into the essence and, and basics of what's going on. You know, I'm a union electrician plus a published author and do this. But you know, I've been listening to Fox News. They're the only ones out of all the networks that are talking about the inequity and the distance, Montgomery, between the wages of the people and how they're stagnant. They're actually talking more about it than any other station on the news. So they're kind of getting a, kind of getting a little grasp of what's going on. Do you feel that or am I based no, I, I I agree. I think um, there's balance there. Uh, they have their their liberal commentators. They have conservative commentators. They have independent commentators, um, and I think they give the broadest view of what's going on. And like I said before, they're honest about it. Uh, they let you make up your own mind. They don't tell you what to think. And I think with a lot of the other news uh, organizations, there's this obvious. Uh, slant to things that um, is kind of insulting, actually, if you think about it. Uh, folks trying to get you to think a certain way or or, or do certain things because uh, that's an ideology that they support. Whereas on Fox, I think they give you more of a, a center view. And now I'm going to put you kind of on a spot, Montgomery. What do you feel we're going to have to do? I mean, have to. I don't like them with two words to do in Iraq to get some prestige back 
and not lose Iraq. Because if we lose Iraq, we're going to lose the whole Middle East to well, somebody. You, you, Rob, you remember how we went in in April of 2003? Yes. Do you remember the technique we used? They called it shock and awe. But the mistake we made was firing the entire Iraqi army. The entire Iraqi army was not the problem. Saddam Hussein was the problem. So what we needed to do was offer all those soldiers amnesty. And then you have a professional uh, military already in place. And our biggest mistake was firing all of them. So then they have unemployed people on the street. Some of them were big fans of Saddam Hussein. But if we had treated them with dignity and respect, let them keep their rank, their jobs, so they could support their families, it would have been a completely different scenario. But we need to go in now with shock and awe. We need to try to gain back some of those uh, Iraqi soldiers that uh, took off the uniform and ran away uh, in the face of uh, this uh, Islamic State of Iraq and Syria and get back to work um, and then stay. But that has, the, the last part, Rob, the staying part, has to be part of the strategy, has to be part of the package, or, you know, we might as well just let them have it. And do we also have to not only stay, but get people from the Iraqi citizenry to go in and start teaching kids about prosperity and different things. Not so much take the Koran away, but to open them up to seeing that they don't have to have war, pillage, and plunder to live. Well, we were doing that. I was there in 2004 and 2005, and one of our favorite things to do was to reach out to the local communities on Fridays, which is their, you know, their day off. Uh, that's uh, their Sunday, as it were. And we would go in and we would bring care packages and items for them. But we'd also talk with the the uh, elders uh, and the adults and the kids and give them a chance to see what Americans are like, that we are the kindest, most gentle, and generous people on the face of the earth. And we had definitely established that. I'll, I'll never forget a time when I was in Abu Ghraib prison after the, the um, scandal there. My unit was sent in to help clean it up. And two ministers of human rights uh, were coming to observe the in-processing center and the detention facility we had there, and I was giving them a tour. And after the tour was over, uh, both of them locked eyeballs with me and in English said to me, uh, we're very grateful uh, that you are here. And it didn't stop there. They went on. They said, we understand that you had to leave your family and put your life at risk for us, and we are very grateful. And that really made it all worthwhile to me. Uh, the Iraqi people in general are very kind, generous, intelligent people. Uh, in fact, when I was there in 05, they constantly would remind us that the problem in that country at that time and today are not Iraqis. It's the infiltrators. It's the foreigners. They call them foreigners. So now we have a foreign influence back in Iraq. They're coming from all corners of the earth uh, to, because they see opportunity there, and they see opportunity there because we left. Uh, when our military left, it, it became uh, open season, and the wolves descended on, on the dying carcass. 
and have now uh, taken over. And for us to regain the high ground in the global war on terror, we need to get back there. And we need to get back there in force with shock and awe and help our Iraqi friends uh, rebuild what we had helped them establish. You know, we went in and started to show them a better way. Now we turned it over. They're back to worse than they were before we come in. Do you feel that? It's sort of back uh, to the dark ages. It's it's back to a time uh, of primitiveness. And you have a primitive law in Sharia law. Uh, It's very simple, very primitive, very deadly law. And the people are scared because there are armed people out there who are intimidating them and have, um, you know, basically chased away the law and order that, that they were enjoying. And the masses now are controlled by terrorists, by people who would just as soon look at them as kill them. And as long as that's allowed to prevail, none of us are safe. And, you know, with a porous border, we really got to open our eyes here. But here's the thing. How do we get – we've lost the world's trust in our ability to stay and make things flow right. How are we going to get the world's trust back? And how do you feel – and I don't feel with the current administration we're going to do that. How do you feel we're going to get the world's trust back? uh, Well, I think you hit the nail on the head. You can't, you can't have a leader who's not trustworthy and gain trust because no one knows what he's going to do. No one know, knows what he's going to say. And I'm not saying it's all his ideas, but it's the people that, that he has appointed to key positions. You have the IRS, the CIA, the FBI, uh, the NSA. You have all these uh, government entities, and you don't know what they're going to do from one day to the next. And he... he He purged uh, hundreds of uh, military leaders who opposed him philosophically, uh, who opposed him militarily. He's gotten rid of them. So it's going to take quite a long time to get back to a position of power and influence where anyone would trust us. And I don't blame him for not trusting us now. We're not trustworthy. We, We don't deserve anyone's trust the way that our country has behaved in the last six years. You know, i got to look at it this way, Montgomery. I don't trust them. Nor should you. Yeah, and also, Montgomery, now if somebody chose to purchase Savings Grace at Guantanamo Bay, how would they learn and open, uh, unlock some new wisdom really about Guantanamo Bay and the whole Iraq situation at the beginning? Well, in the very beginning, the ba- the, um, the military detention facility that we know now in Guantanamo Bay was created because we were unable to keep detainees uh, safe and secure. There was an uprising, if you remember, in uh, the fall of 2001 at a prison in Afghanistan, and Johnny Michael Spann, who was a CIA operative doing interviews in a prison, was killed during that uprising. It lasted a few days, and hundreds of detainees were killed, some with probably precious information. 
So we realized that there was value to the information that some of these uh, enemy had, but we needed a safe and secure place. My unit was part of the decision-making process. We talked about Guam, and we talked about Diego Garcia. We all voted for Hawaii, but uh, that didn't happen. But we, each time we suggested something, it came back to Guantanamo Bay, which is hands down the safest and most secure place for unlawful combatants. So they were the worst of the worst. These guys are taken right off the battlefield, uh, would kill you just as soon as look at you. And we treated them with dignity and respect, even though when Donald Rumsfeld came down and talked to my boss, uh, everyone agreed that because they were unlawful combatants, they were not entitled to any privileges whatsoever. However, because we're benevolent, the, the best country in the world, uh, we saw the, the um, saw it fit to give them, uh, treat them within the spirit of Geneva Conventions, even though they weren't entitled to the protections, because, of course, Geneva was written to protect innocent civilians in time of war, not to protect those who pretend to be civilians in order to murder them. So we held uh, 400,000 lawful combatant prisoners of war during World War II in this country, 400,000, with that one call for extra legal privileges for them, and when the war was over, all those who weren't accused of a war crime were released. And the same thing happened in the first Gulf War. We, we took thousands of uh, Iraqi uh, lawful combatant prisoners of war, and within days after the end of that conflict, they were all repatriated to Iraq uh, in accordance with the law of war. So Guantanamo Bay is legal, ethical, and moral. In fact, the International Committee of the Red Cross Physicians that I worked with there and in Iraq both told me independently that no one does detention operations better than the United States of America. We take pride in what we do. And every American, Rob, can be proud of Guantanamo Bay. The morality of Guantanamo Bay, the humanity of it, is that it exists at all. If these guys were captured by virtually any other country on the face of the planet, they'd all be dead. And in fact, when we moved those detainees from Camp X-Ray in late April of 2002 to the newer Camp Delta where they are now, many of them thought they were going to be taken to be executed. And the reason they thought that was that's exactly what they would have done with us. They would have gotten what information they thought they could get from us, and then they would have killed us. So we have established that that facility is the best of the best. Uh, those soldiers are tr do a tremendous job, 99.9% .9 of them uh, do a fantastic job. They work hard every single day. You'll learn all this in the book. You'll learn the details of, and a little bit of history of American military and world military detention, uh, how prisoners of war have been treated throughout history, and realize that this defense detention facility is the finest in the world. And that we, as long as there are unlawful un, uh, combatant Islamists out there who want to kill us, we need a place to put them. We need a place to put them so they don't hurt us. And until or unless all Islamists are killed or no longer have the means or will to kill us, we need to keep them safe and secure at, at Guantanamo Bay, Cuba. Now, Montgomery, here's something that comes to me. What will happen 
if we choose not to go back into Iraq? Well, it's happening now. You, you get the status quo. And the status quo is the enemy is gaining ground. You know, I, I, I read a lot, and I read uh, an article today that hit, it really hit the bullseye on this whole thing, Ron. They said, today, our enemies, Al-Qaeda, and we can include uh, this ISIS group, uh, enemy is any Islamist who wants to kill us, are stronger now than they were on 9-11-2001. Think about that for a minute. They're stronger now than they were on 9-11-2001. Uh, and it, it, if it doesn't terrify you, if it doesn't scare you, then I, I don't think you're a normal human being. And, you know, soldiers will complete the mission. And I think the frustrating thing for myself and other Iraqi vets is that the mission was not complete. If you ask a soldier in a foxhole if he wants to come home, sure he wants to come home. But he doesn't want to leave his foxhole until the mission is complete. That's how we're trained. That 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 is the essence of the American fighting uh, man and fighting woman, is that we are trained to complete the mission, and the mission in Iraq was not complete, and the mission in Germany, Japan, and Italy, 70 years after the end of World War II, is still not complete. The world is not safe for democracy, and is getting more and more dangerous every single day. So if we do nothing, if we don't go back in force, create shock and awe, get the 82nd Airborne and the United States Marine Corps back into Iraq, then you get the status quo. And the status quo is things get worse every day and not better. And that's the other edict of the American soldier. We improve the foxhole every day. We take ground every day. We improve our situation every day. And that's frustrating to us now because what we see is things are getting worse every day. And that eats that eats us from the inside out. I guarantee you every single veteran, every single active duty soldier, sailor, marine, airman, and coast guardsman and woman, it's eating us alive that every single day things get worse instead of better. Now this question, uh, Montgomery, how is ISIS and al-Qaeda Two different war, two different uh, entities. We're going to be fighting at the same time. Yeah, there's there's probably a lot more uh, factions out there, but we've complicated things by supporting uh, some of these more quote unquote moderate groups in Syria. Uh, we're sending small arms to uh, we the Benghazi uh, uh, debacle included an element of supplying arms to uh, certain Islamist groups, and the theory uh, behind that was the enemy of my enemy is my friend, but that's not always the case. The enemy of your enemy would will kill you as soon as you turn your back on them. Uh, we need to understand that there's a difference between the good guys and the bad guys and put the, the good guys uh, behind us and protect them and put the bad guys at our front uh, so we can... Uh, address them and that's not being done right now the 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 waters are muddied and when you draw a line when a united states president draws a line a red line in the sand and says if you cross this xyz is going to happen and it doesn't happen oh boy you have you have open season I, i don't think there's one person out there who takes this country seriously right now or takes this president seriously or believes anything he says 
uh, and it's just complete incompetence. Uh, I don't think anybody on his staff has any military background whatsoever, except for the chief of staff uh, of the uh, military. There's nobody else who's a veteran or has any military experience. In fact, Obama despises the military because it reminds him of his shortcomings. And when you have somebody in the highest office in the land who's your commander-in-chief who despises you, that that's a recipe for disaster. He is bringing this country down faster uh, than anybody, I think, could ever imagine. And it just has to stop. You know, you have to call your congressman. You have to call your representative and senator and say how upset you are about this and what you want them to do to make it better. And one of the things to, to make it better is to impeach the president, is to uh, make our, our borders safe and secure, enforce the laws on the books, and, you know, make a decision about Iraq. Are we going to go back in? Are we going to do the right thing by the Iraqis? Imagine the message that that would send, Rob. If the 82nd Airborne parachuted into Baghdad and the Marine Corps went in there and the armored divisions went back in, imagine the message that would send to the world, and especially to Islamists, and just make it open season on Islamists and just take care of business. I'm telling you, the military would would definitely rise to the occasion uh, and if I didn't have five children and a lovely wife who's my personal hero, uh, I would certainly go back myself. And, you know, Montgomery, right now China thinks we're their puppet. Do you feel that? Um, I don't know. I think that might be a, a PR ploy on their part. Um, they really don't own that much debt. And, if it, you know, the debt that they own is, is just paper anyway. Um, their military is is landlocked. You know, we have ten operating uh, aircraft carrier groups, and they have one aircraft carrier that doesn't even have airplanes on it that can take off from it. So they they're not really able to project their power. What they are able to project, and other countries uh, are trying to make up ground, is uh, the cyber attacks. You know, that is an active everyday war that we're fighting uh, to protect. Uh, you know, our financial markets and our military establishment uh, through the Internet, through computers. So that is a way that they are able to assert themselves. But it's not talked about very much. But militarily, China really is a non-factor uh, to us. There are really no country on the planet that can really threaten us physically. Uh, this, the big scare right now is, and I read this today, that uh, and, and the irony is dripping that uh, the ISIS group in Iraq has come across uh, hundreds of chemical warhead rockets that I guess had never been in Iraq in the first place, right? So uh, they're reported now to have chemical weapons. So the biggest fear, though, is if they got their hands on a dirty bomb or a nuclear weapon, uh, which apparently Iran is very close to, to developing themselves. And that really is the big scary thing, because if you have a dirty bomb or a nuclear uh, weapon, uh, you can do serious damage uh, to civilian populations. And that is the threat that, that we need to be vigilant about. And if we give up Iraq, if we give up uh, you know, 
Libya and Egypt and all these other countries that used to be stable, what you create is an opportunity for the bad guys to regroup, to gain strength, and to figure out ways to hurt us. And isn't that their major goal? Mm-hmm. I mean, yes. uh, really their only goal? Well, their goal is uh, Sharia law. And if you're not an Islamist, a radical Muslim, if you don't believe in Sharia law and you're not willing to convert, then they'll kill you. It's that simple. And it's that scary. <laughs> uh, I... Go ahead. Good or you get killed. Now, when them, them t- the hard cases come into Guantanamo Bay and they started getting treat- treated right over a period of time, did they start to loosen up? Well, here's the, here's the prison psychology is very simple. If you keep a detainee fat and happy and let him know that he's never leaving until he cooperates, then they tend to cooperate. You don't need to torture them or abuse them. Uh, in fact, the, the less you do of that, the more likely they are to trust you and then tell you whatever you want to know. And since time is on your side as the jailer, you have time to vet their information. And you reward them when they give you valuable information that turns out to be accurate. And the more you do that, the more cooperative they become. It doesn't mean you let them go. <laughs> it, it just means that you give them hope that they'll be let go. And you just repeat to them every time they ask, when hostilities have ended, you will be released, because that's what the law of land warfare says. That's what Geneva Conventions say. Uh, But you don't promise to release them because they tell you information. You promise to treat them better, because their day-to-day life is their reality, and that's what's most important to them is what's going on in their life right then. They need a little ray of hope, a little pinhole at the end of the tunnel, where there's hope that they'll be released and see their families again. But there are very definite things that they have to do, steps they have to take to earn that freedom. Uh, And you have to let them know, remind them, that that freedom is not going to come because of what they do. It's going to come when hostilities end, because that's what the law says. And we are a nation of laws, not men. That's what we'll do with them. Uh, so, the, you know, each military detention facility, remember, they're not corrections. We're not trying to brainwash them. We're not trying to uh, make them pay for a crime. Most haven't even been accused, and they don't have to be. Those 400 lawful combatant POWs we held during World War II didn't have to be charged with anything. And at least all the guys we have at Guantanamo Bay are unlawful combatants, which means they weren't wearing uniforms, they didn't carry arms openly, et cetera, et cetera. They broke the law of war. And according to the law of war, they have earned no privileges. Uh, You know, during the Civil War, Abraham Lincoln suspended habeas corpus and created military commissions for civilians and was vilified for that. But he did it to win the war, to, to preserve the Union, because there was such an influx of southern spies into the north, they had to have that mechanism. The mechanism is provided in the Constitution of the United States. And I talk about that in in my book a little bit. But um, you need to practice prison psychology on the detainees. We called them carrots because they were skinny, wearing orange jumpsuits. We called Camp X-Ray the garden. You know, we, we 
we tried to inject some some humor to deal with the situation because really it was an emotional train wreck, Rob, working there. Because at once you have this job to care for them, but you hate their guts because they're the reason why you're not with your wife and kids. They're the reason why you're apart from your family, and you hate them for that. Uh, vicious hate, but you don't take action on it. You have a job to do, and, and like I said, 99.9% of all folks that work down there, uh, everyone in this country should be proud of the job that they do because they do their job uh, to the T. Uh, it's very disciplined down there. The detainees are, are treated like gold. And, again, the reason for that, and I know there are some people out there who say, well, they shouldn't have the soccer field. They shouldn't get baklava uh, or lamb for a holy day meal. You know what? It's all about keeping the guards safe. It's all about keeping them safe because they have valuable information. Or once you take them off the battlefield, you are morally, ethically, and legally responsible for their health and welfare, whether you like it or not. We could have killed them on the battlefield, but that would not have been to our advantage. Preserving their and lives you know, and keeping them safe was to our advantage. So, Montgomery, when we choose... Because to me, with ISIS and Al-Qaeda and with the training grounds in our Africa and everything that's going on with the whole Islamist movement, isn't it the sooner the better we get back there and take care of business and take care of business and not stand around the better off this country will be overall? Yeah, I think so. Um, but we have a handicap, and that is our commander-in-chief has zero military experience. Now, not all presidents, not all successful presidents have had significant military backgrounds, but those who haven't have studied what the generals have studied. They have uh, brought in people with experience and taken their advice. I don't believe there's anybody uh, in the Obama administration that has that kind of wisdom or experience and can give the president advice uh, on the correct path to take. It, you know, in the military, life is pretty simple. You don't have to worry about what you're going to wear, what you're going to eat, where you're going to go, what you're going to do. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, and that's addictive. Uh, it really is. But that's the way the world works. The world is very simple and straightforward. You're either doing something good or you're doing something bad. And if if there's bad going on and you want us to take care of it, you better believe that the United States military, the finest military on the planet, will take care of business. You just have to let us. And here's the, here's the difference between an example of World War II where your political goals and your military goals were the same. The objectives were the same. In Iraq, the objectives were not the same. The political objective was to leave. The military objective was, and this is always the last item on a list of how to perpetrate a military uh, operation, to completely and totally decimate the enemy or and take away his will and means to resist. And that was not complete. That part of the mission, that final piece was not completed. And there have been generals throughout our history, Grant and Sherman. Sherman, you know, almost invented total war uh, in that era, was selected by Lincoln because he knew that he would bring victory. 
Lincoln knew from studying every single book that was taught at West Point as he became president, because he knew he would be a wartime president, knew that Sherman's tactics, although today would be considered excessive, were how they were going to win the war. And Lincoln was so prophetic, he at one point said, it is better to amputate a gangrenous arm than to sacrifice the whole body. And in this analogy, the arm was the Constitution and the body was the Union. And he knew some of the things he did were questionable constitutionally, but they needed to be done to preserve the Union, which was his overall objective. And he selected generals he knew would would make that happen. Uh, But as we got closer into the modern era, say MacArthur and Korea, MacArthur was not allowed to perpetrate total war for fear of bringing China overtly into it. Um, And the same in Vietnam. We never mined Haiphong Harbor. We never cut off the supplies from China, uh, which we could have done, but at the risk of bringing China into a a face-to-face ground war with us, which we did not have the political will to do. And then after the Tet Offensive, Uh, 1968 in Vietnam. We had them on the ropes. They captured every provincial capital, the Viet Cong, and the North Vietnamese Army captured captured every uh, provincial capital. But within weeks, we had kicked them out. If we had continued on a counteroffensive, we would have decimated them. There would be nothing left of the Viet Cong or North Vietnamese. But that was not a political objective at the time. So if your political and military objectives are the same, and this is what we're facing now in Iraq, the political objective is not to get boots on the ground. But militarily, that's the only way that you can achieve the objective of peace and prosperity in Iraq, the same way we did it in World War II. And the examples, the shining examples, I've said many times already tonight, Germany, Japan, and Italy are the most peaceful, prosperous countries on the planet because of the United States of America. And And what we need right now uh, is a Middle East Marshall Plan to rebuild the infrastructure and provide peace and prosperity for them. Um, And and our president is really trying to screw it up with Germany. (laughs) Yeah, he's pissing everybody off. He's not even trying. He's pissing them off. And, you know, the result of that is is a broken friendship and a lack of trust. And you you know as well as I do, the basis of any worthwhile relationship is trust. If you don't have trust, you, know, you don't have it. And that's it. And the book is Saving Grace at Guantanamo Bay, a memoir of a citizen warrior. And Montgomery Granger is my guest. And Montgomery, we've run out of time. It's always a pleasure, Rob. I'm so grateful to you and uh, your great audience, and uh, God bless you, sir. Well, God bless you and all the audience. And Montgomery, um, in a month or so or two months, we'll have you back and we'll talk more about what's going on in Iraq because the, the, the Islamists are gaining power and we're letting it happen in front of our eyes. That's right, and um, like I said, we need to have our political and military goals one and the same, and if we do that, we can do the right thing and get back there and and save our friends. And also, everybody, good night, and we'll be back Thursday night, and thank you, Montgomery, and all the listeners, and I want to say good night to everybody. Everybody have a good evening.